0: You're listening to audio from Liberty Church in the Harrisburg-Camp Hill area of Pennsylvania. For more information, please visit www.LibertyHarrisburg.org. That's Liberty with an I, Harrisburg.org. Judges 16 is where we will be today, uh, and that is page 215 in those black hardcover Bibles if you're using one of those. After today, there's actually just one more week left Uh, in the series in the book of Judges that we've been in since September. And this morning, I promise, uh, will be the shortest sermon in the Judges series. Uh, Like Samson's hair, we will cut it short. (laughs) Moving on, moving on. Last week, uh, we looked at chapters 13 through 15, Uh, The rise of Samson into this role as the deliverer for Israel. Today, we're going to finish Samson's account in chapter 16. So I invite you now to listen with open ears to this book that we love. This is Judges chapter 16, beginning in verse 1. Samson went to Gaza, and there he saw a prostitute, and he went into her. The Gazites were told, Samson has come here. And they surrounded the place and set an ambush for him all night at the gate of the city. They kept quiet all night, saying, Let us wait till the light of the morning, then we will kill him. But Samson lay till midnight, and at midnight he arose and took hold of the doors of the gate of the city and the two posts and pulled them up, bar and all, and put them on his shoulders and carried them to the top of the hill that is in front of Hebron. After this, he loved the woman in the valley of Sorek, whose name was Delilah. And the lords of the Philistines came up to her and said to her, Seduce him and and see where his great strength lies and by what means we may overpower him and we will each give you 1,100 pieces of silver. So Delilah said to Samson, Please tell me where your great strength lies and how you might be bound that one could subdue you. What follows are three iterations of Samson telling her a false source of his strength and Delilah attempting to, to use that against him. So first, seven fresh bowstrings, and then new ropes that have not been used and then weaving the seven locks of his hair together with the web and fastening it with a pin. None of those work, but picking up the story in verse 15, And she, Delilah, said to Samson, How can you say I love you when your heart is not with me? You have mocked me these three times and you have not told me where your great strength lies." And when she pressed him hard with her words day after day and urged him, his soul was vexed to death. And he told her all his heart and said to her, A razor has never come upon my head, for I have been a Nazarite to God from my mother's womb. If my head is shaved, then my strength will leave me and I shall become weak and be like any other man. When Delilah saw that he had told her all his heart, she sent and called the lords of the Philistines, saying, Come up again, for he has told me all his heart. Then the lords of the Philistines came up to her and brought the money in, in, her hand, in their hands. She made him sleep on her knees, and she called the man and had him shave off the seven locks of his head. Then she began to torment him, and his strength left him. And she said, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. And he awoke from his sleep and said, I will go out as at other times and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. And the Philistines seized him and gouged out his eyes and brought him down to Gaza and bound him with bronze shackles. And he ground at the mill in the prison, but the hair of his head began to grow again after it had been shaved. Now the lords of the Philistines gathered to offer a great sacrifice to Dagon, their god, and to rejoice. And they said, our god has given Samson, our enemy, into our hand. And when the people saw him, they praised their god. For they said, our god has given our enemy into our hand, the ravager of our country, who has killed many of us. And when their hearts were merry, they said, call Samson, that he may entertain us. So they called Samson out of the prison, and he entertained them. They made him stand between the pillars. And Samson said to the young man who led him by the hand, Let me feel the pillars on which the house rests, that I may lean against them. Now the house was full of men and women, and the lords of the Philistines were there. And on the roof there were about 3,000 men and women who looked on while Samson entertained. Then Samson called to the Lord and said, O Lord God, please remember me, and please strengthen me only this once, O God that I may be avenged on the Philistines for my two eyes. And Samson grasped the two middle pillars on which the house rested, and he leaned his weight against them, his right hand on on the one and his left hand on the other. And Samson said, let me die with the Philistines. Then he bowed with all his strength, and the house fell upon the Lord and upon all the people who were in it. So the dead whom he killed at his death were more than those whom he had killed during his life. And his brothers and all his family came down and took him and brought him up and buried him between Zorah and Eshtael in the tomb of Manoah, his father. He had judged Israel 20 years. This is God's word. Let me pray for us. God of mercy, even as we have celebrated this today, you have promised never to break your covenant with us. And so amid all the changing words of our generation, We ask that you would now speak your eternal word that does not change. Enable us to respond to your gracious promises with faithful and obedient lives. And we pray this through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. In 1671, the poet John Milton wrote a poem about Samson that was called Samson Agonistes, or translated Samson the Wrestler. It's about this last phase of Samson's life where he's blind and he's in prison. And perhaps the most famous line, the most impactful line, at least to me, of the whole poem comes in line 164, where Milton says of Samson, O mirror of our fickle state. O mirror of our fickle state. In other words, Israel sees itself, and we, although in some different ways, see ourselves reflected in the life and in the story of Samson, called by God, reluctant to embrace that call, fiddling around for most of our lives with God-given gifts, using them for our own selfish and sinful pursuits rather than God's, but still, ultimately, unable to escape being used by God to accomplish his good purposes. That's really the tension of Samson as A judge, which I'm sure you felt if you've been with us last week and now again today. In some ways, Samson is a mirror of God. In some ways, Samson reflects God. He enacts God's salvation. And in not-so-subtle ways, his story reflects the story of Jesus, an impossible birth and a, a death, a dramatic death that brings deliverance. But in other ways, and for the vast majority of his life, Samson reflects Israel. He embodies Israel's sin and rebellion. And one scholar, Michael Wilcock, phrased it this way, said, when he is not saving Israel, he is being Israel. And that is most of the time. So as we wrap up looking at Samson's life today, I want to just consider two of many, two specific ways that Samson is the mirror of our fickle state. One is that he carries an unwanted burden. And two is that he is in desperate need of brokenness. So first, he carries an unwanted burden. As we saw last week, Samson, in many ways, is the deliverer no one asked for. Uh, Israel didn't ask for a deliverer. His parents did not ask for a son that was set apart to do work like this. And most significantly, uh, Samson himself didn't want to be a deliverer. Nothing about his life indicates that he wanted to be God's instrument of rescue for Israel. And there's a really interesting line here in chapter 16, verse 17. Samson is telling Delilah the truth, finally, that if his head is shaved, his strength will leave and he will become, he says, like any other man. There are times when Samson relishes in the strength that he has. But it also seems there are many days when all he wanted was to be like any other man. To not have this burden placed upon him. To not have this call of God upon his life. He doesn't want to be a deliverer. But because this is God's calling on him, he can't escape it. He is the instrument of God's deliverance from the Philistines. But if like me, if you're like me, you might be wondering when we reach the end of this story, what might have been? What might have been? What if Samson had accepted and embraced this calling rather than disdaining it? for his whole life. What if he had used his supernatural strength for selfless purposes instead of selfish and retaliatory ones? What if instead of spending his life running from God and running from the call that God had put on his life, he spent his life living in light of that call? O mirror of our fickle state. So you and I are not Samson, but consider the apostle Peter's words in 1 Peter chapter 2. He says, you, church, followers of Jesus, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. For any of us who have come to trust in Jesus, this is the calling upon your life. To proclaim the excellencies of Jesus who brought you out of darkness into light. You have received mercy. You are part of God's people now. This is what our lives are for. And within that overarching call, we each have specific callings and even specific burdens on our lives. Some of you are perhaps called to be pastors, elders, deacons, other leaders in Jesus' church. Some of you are perhaps, like we heard Brittany did for many years of her life, called to take the good news of Jesus to unreached peoples around the world. Some of us have different types of callings or burdens. A particular vocation, a particularly taxing job for some of you. A hard marriage. A difficult child. A physical ailment. A loved one that has significant physical or mental or emotional needs. Or maybe being the only Christian or just one of a couple Christians in some given social circle. There are far easier lives than that. Are there not? There are infinitely more comfortable ways to spend your days on this earth than that. And so there will be many moments of your life where, like Samson, you don't want that burden. And maybe, like Samson, you feel like you never asked for it in the first place. But God has seen fit to put it upon you. And so at the end of the day, the option that is presented to us is we can be an active participant in that or a passive one. But if we are called by God, if the hand of God is upon us, we will never be able to outrun him. We'll never be able to outrun him. Like Jonah boarding a ship to Tarshish instead of Nineveh, we might try. We might try. And maybe some of you are there even right now, today, in these moments, trying to outrun this calling and this burden that God has put upon you. But it won't work, And all it will do is we pursue that. we pursue running away, it will, it will leave us empty and unfulfilled in the process. Now quick aside here: if you have no idea what I'm talking about, if you never have wrestled with God's calling on your life, if you've never experienced this as an unwanted burden, it's probably because you've never actually embraced it in the first place. It's probably, it probably means that you are letting other people around you carry your burden instead of getting underneath it yourself. We're meant to carry each other's burdens, but Paul says in the same vein, two sentences later, so that each one would be able to carry his own load. And perhaps like Samson, you're passing your life, fiddling around with the gifts that God has given you, rather than surrendering them fully to God's service. You are a royal priesthood, a holy priesthood, Nation. So let today be a stake in the ground moment. Let us embrace the call that God has put upon our lives. There are beautiful aspects to this calling, this burden, even, that we have received mercy, that once we were not a people, but now we are God's people. But let's embrace not only the beautiful aspects of this calling, but truly the part that feels like burden. Whether we see it or not, whether we see it or not, the burdens are upon us according to God's good design and purpose. And and if I can testify to this from my own life, difficult as they are some days, they are worth it. They are worth it. They are achieving for you, they are achieving for others an eternal weight of glory that far surpasses them all. So unwanted burdens is one way that Samson is a mirror of our fickle state. Second, He is in desperate need of brokenness. Desperate need of brokenness. As Judges 16 begins, Samson is confident he can do anything. Uh, It's not really clear how much time has passed between the end of chapter 15, when he single-handedly kills a thousand Philistines with the jawbone of a donkey, and then the beginning of 16, where he's in Gaza. But if that experience, killing a thousand Philistines, if that's in your rearview mirror, You're either going to become really grateful for the power of God at work through you or really arrogant about what you think is your own power. And Samson, of course, chooses the latter of those two options. So then when he enlists the services of a prostitute and discovers that the Philistines have him surrounded in the Philistine city of Gaza, he doesn't even panic. Did you notice that? He just lays there till midnight. And then he picks up the gates and the posts, which were massive, usually about two stories tall, and then he carries them on his back 40 miles from Gaza to Hebron. And this actually helps, I think, explain the eventual interaction that he has with Delilah. If you're familiar with this story, if you grew up in the church and maybe heard the story of Samson and Delilah in Sunday school, have you ever wondered why Samson actually told her the truth? I mean, she clearly was setting him up. Every time he told her something, she tried it and had like people waiting behind a closed door to just jump on him if he couldn't break free of, of being bound. But he just keeps letting her try, and eventually he tells her the truth. Why would he do that? Two reasons, I think. First, he loved her. He loved her. It's the first mention of Samson actually loving a woman and not just lusting after a woman or wanting to possess a woman. But second, it's because Samson thought he was invincible. He's been successful in everything. He's actually violated the other parts of his Nazarite vow, and he still has had supernatural, superhuman strength, and he's defeated the Philistines every time. So even after his head is shaved, in verse 20 here, he says, I will go out as before. He thinks he's going to break free again and defeat the Philistines again. To this point in his life, Samson is characterized by the gifts of the Spirit without any of the fruit of the Spirit. He's presumed upon God's gifts and strength specifically without actually being devoted to God or submitted to God's rule in his life. And the only way that he will get there, the only way that he will actually be devoted to and be submitted to God is brokenness. God is going to have to break Samson. And so as we read, he pays a really high cost for his arrogance, and for his foolishness. The harder your heart is, the more painful your brokenness will often be. And maybe some of you have experienced that in your own life. Samson's eyes are gouged out. And like a draft animal, he is chained to the mill in a Philistine prison. Then he's paraded in shame before thousands of his enemies. But all of that all of that leads to another moment of God's deliverance. And this time, not only a moment of deliverance for Israel, but a moment of deliverance for Samson himself. Look again at verse 28. Samson cries out, "O oh Lord God, please remember me. Please strengthen me this once." That's what brokenness sounds like. That's what humility sounds like. No longer presuming that his strength is going to be there. No longer presuming that God does Samson's bidding. Now in utter dependence, for the first time, he cries out to God. It's so different from his, quote, prayer at the end of chapter 15. That was a demand. This is desperation. Now he's still thinking about personal vengeance. He says, let me have my strength so I can be avenged for my two eyes. He is still an incredibly flawed man. But now he is one with sincere faith. And think about this. In the entire account of Samson, this moment alone makes sense of his inclusion in the Hebrews chapter 11 hall of faith, as we call it. Because before this moment, there is nothing in his life that flows from faith. But when he pushes over these pillars, when the one true God gains a victory over the false God of the Philistines, it's the one time in his life where Samson is trusting in God rather than trusting in himself. Now here's the point. God has been using Samson to deliver Israel from the Philistines. And that's been pretty obvious. But who will deliver Samson? Who will save the Savior? Who will deliver the deliverer when he's so flawed and immoral like Samson is? Only God. Only God. And like uncountable, arrogant, selfish, strong, self-reliant, successful people since, God's salvation must begin with brokenness. It must begin by God pulling the rug out from under you and humbling you to a place of utter dependence and faith. Who is the most hardened person that you know? And, and maybe it's you. Maybe it's you. Who's the most hardened person you know? Samson's heart was harder. Who's the most successful person you know? Samson was more successful. Who's the most arrogant person you know? Samson was even more arrogant. But God loves Samson. And grace abounds to the chief of sinners, as the Apostle Paul will write centuries later. So even if it takes getting his eyes gouged out. Even if it takes him being made into a milling mule, even if it takes him being publicly humiliated, God is going to break Samson in order to rescue him. God's kingdom is an upside-down kingdom. And so our strengths, the thing we think are values and strengths and assets in our lives are actually weakness because they entrench us in arrogance and self-reliance. But our weaknesses in the kingdom of God become true strength. And centuries later, the apostle Paul will go on to write that God's power is made perfect, not in our strengths, but in our weaknesses. So learn to appreciate those weaknesses. Learn to value, as hard as this is, the circumstances in your life that bring brokenness and bring humility and force you to cling to God in faith. Because as much as it looks like God is punishing Samson in that Philistine prison, God is pursuing Samson all the way down to the bottom of the depths of that spiral. God's call is upon him, as we've read already in this text, from his mother's womb until the day of his death. And so in the same way, brokenness in your life, friends, is not God punishing you, it is God pursuing you. It is God breaking you down in order to draw you to himself. Who will save a man like Samson God will. God will. And praise to him, it means that he will also save men and women like you and me. Oh, mirror of our fickle state, we are arrogant and self-reliant. We are reluctant to carry those burdens that God has placed upon us. And so Jesus will enter into the world. He will take on flesh to willingly carry his burden. And he will carry his burden all the way up the hill at Calvary. Jesus is the willing deliverer. Not arrogant, but humbling himself to the point of death, to the point of death on a cross. Jesus has no need to be broken, but he chooses to be broken. As we celebrate at this table every week, he chooses to be broken for the life and the salvation of all who would come. So embrace the calling and the burden that God places upon you. Learn to appreciate your weaknesses, the brokenness that God brings in your life because the one who rescued Samson is the same one who rescues us. Amen. Amen. Let me pray for us. Lord God, we confess that we do not often want the calling and the burden that you have put upon us. We'd rather live an easier life. We'd rather run. We also confess our arrogance and our self-reliance that we don't want to embrace brokenness. We don't want to embrace the things that humble us. We don't want to embrace our weaknesses because the world does not value those things and we don't value those things. So we pray this morning for actual strength from your spirit to grasp the truth. We pray that you would give us strength by your spirit to live out the good news of the gospel of Jesus the willing deliverer who bore our burden upon himself, who was broken when he had no need to be broken. And as we come to this table, I pray that you would meet us by the power of your spirit, that you would renew us in the grace of the gospel that is held out to those of us that you are pursuing even in our brokenness. I pray that Jesus all in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Liberty Church. To learn more about our church or to listen to previous recordings, visit www.LibertyHarrisburg.org.